chapter number 9. I'll quit reminiscing and, uh, and get to the message. Well, you'll remember in chapter number 8, uh, Solomon's been speaking about the excellency of wisdom. And uh, that song had something about wisdom and understanding in it, uh, by the way. And so he's been speaking about the excellency of wisdom. And uh, But in the first part of chapter 9, he speaks about the blessings of wisdom and the, and the invitation from wisdom. Uh, he, he gives us the picture of a banquet or a feast, and wisdom is crying out, you know, saying all things are prepared and encouraging us to respond to her invitation. And uh, naturally, that's the wise thing to do. Well, now, when we come to verse number 13, and we've just got a few verses tonight that we're going to consider, but tonight we see Folly's invitation. This is an invitation from folly. And I remind you again that the entire book of Proverbs has to do with the contrast between wisdom and folly. That's what it is all about. And so let's, let's take notice of, uh, of folly's invitation. Verse number 13, here we see her description. It says, A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. Now, Boy, that's blunt. <laughs> you know, that's really to the point. I, I remember uh, a few years ago I, I referred to something being stupid, and and it actually offended someone. And uh, I didn't call someone stupid, but I talked about what they were doing, you know, being stupid. It wasn't directed at them or anybody in the church. And they said something to somebody else. That's usually the way it goes, you know. It's not that they come to the preacher and say, you know, maybe I misunderstood, but, uh, you know, what you said really offended me. So so they always go through someone else, and usually the someone else is uh, somebody they know will get the message to me. And did you know so-and-so was offended? Why? Uh, what did I do? Well, you're not supposed to use the word stupid. Well, let me tell you, when something is stupid, it's stupid, and we need, we need, we need to call a spade a spade. It is what it is. And, and, you know, I think about the preaching of Jesus and how blunt he was, uh, and, you know, and, and sometimes that's the only way to get the attention of people is to get right down where they live and, and say what it is. Well, here he says here concerning the foolish woman, she's clamorous, she's simple, she knoweth nothing. Now, that word glamorous might sound like glamorous, but, but let me tell you, they're nothing alike whatsoever. And, uh, you know, in contrast to wisdom, she is loud and she is haughty. And uh, you'll remember that wisdom is animated by truth, whereas folly is animated by passion. It's all about the feeling, all about the pleasure and I'm afraid today too many people confuse emotion with spirituality. Now, I'm surely not against emotion. You know, uh, emotion is a good thing. God gave us our emotions. I, I'll never forget uh, uh, one, one of our one of our uh, ex members that uh, was quite uh, quite emotional. Well, it's Birdie's son Jesse. Some of you, some of you here know Jesse, and uh, 
He's very excitable. And so anyway, after he got married and they left the church, he went to another Baptist church in the area, and Jesse was Jesse. He's that way wherever he's at. And he was, you know, shouting amen or praise the Lord or something. And and literally the preacher met with him after the service and said, we don't do that around here. Well, you know, I... I to tell you the truth, I don't think I would have stayed very long. I, I, I would have left. So I'm not against emotion, but let me tell you something. As I said here a while back, I think today we've got a generation of people that worship worship instead of God. And for them, it's all about the emotion, the uh, excitement. Just the other day, I was looking at something, a little old clip on Facebook that uh, uh, I won't mention any names of the church or the person. Many of you would know who it is, and so I'm not going to mention that. And, and I'm not out to embarrass the person, but they were talking about an activity that's coming up. And, uh, and I looked at that, and I thought, my Lord, it looks, like, it looks like something that would be at the halftime at the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against putting up a screen up there and uh, things like that. I, I'm not against using the sound system. and But let me tell you, we can go so far in this thing of emotions that we get, we get carried away. And, and we, we've got to be so careful about that. And, 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 and I'm emphasizing this because with folly, it's all about the emotion. As long as it's a feel-good thing, you know, well, then it must be good. And uh, so that's, that's the case with this person. She's clamorous. And uh, let me just show you the contrast to the godly woman, First Peter chapter number 3. And First uh, Peter chapter number 3, and this is a picture of, the, of a spiritual-minded godly woman and instruction pertaining to her where it says, verse 1, let... Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own uh, husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair and of the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, and, and let it be the but, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now, I'm not going to talk about the subjection part tonight, and so you can... Wipe the sweat off of your brow and not worry about that. And we're not going to talk about whether women ought to cut their hair or not and a lot of these other things there. But the, the one thing I want to point out here where it talks about the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. And uh, let me tell you, in the sight of God, that is so very important. A godly woman having a meek and a quiet spirit. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I was just thinking someone, a former member here a while back, uh, put a clip of Joyce Myers on, <laughs> on Facebook. I mean, was glad to do it. It's something that he really enjoyed, I guess. 
and and I it, I, I, just, I just wanted to gag whenever I saw it uh, because that's certainly not her place to be doing what she's doing. Uh, but but there's there's something about a meek and a quiet spirit that is impressive. And and notice this is a contrast to the foolish woman who is clamorous. I mean, here is a woman that's loud, that's haughty, that, I mean, boy, you're going to know that she is in the room. She's going to make her present known to everybody. And uh, when you see a woman with that problem, you know they've got a problem, and they'll be a problem. And, and, And then notice it says not only she's clamorous, but simple. Well, we've talked so much already about that word. We won't go into uh, detail about it. But, you know, whenever we think of it, uh, and we talked about this here a while back in a message about spiritual immaturity. And there's not anything wrong with being a babe in Christ. We don't need to apologize, you know, uh, as a babe in Christ, a new Christian. Uh, we don't need to apologize for being in the class of the simple, that is the young and the inexperienced, because we've all been there. But, you know, at some point in time, we have to stop using that as an excuse. At some point in time, people ought to grow out of that. They ought to grow up. They ought to get beyond that. And notice, and naturally, it doesn't tell us the age of this woman here. We don't know about that. But whatever the case, she's still... She's still uh, designated as being here uh, a clamorous and a simple woman. And then it says, and knoweth nothing. Knoweth nothing. Well, uh, you know, that's, uh, surely you understand that whenever the Bible says she knows nothing, that, that it, it, God is accommodating our ignorance. It doesn't mean that she's not aware of whether it's daylight or dark. It doesn't mean she's totally ignorant or anything like that. But she knoweth nothing that as she ought to know. In other words, her understanding is extremely limited. She is not knowledgeable of things that she ought to know. So without, without the moral fiber to resist temptation... And you think about her red-hot burning flames of carnal desire here, raging out of control. And then because of her ignorance, she naturally ought to be silent, a meek and a quiet spirit. But what does she do? She's speaking out uh, and, and making her presence known and extending an invitation. So this is how she's described. But notice in verse 14, 15, and 16, he deals with her invitation. And again, rather than remain silent, you know, I've often said those that have the least to offer usually have the most to say. And boy, here's a perfect example of that. Notice verse 14, she's conspicuous. She sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city. So notice her victims don't have to go search for her, but rather she erects her house in the highest place so everybody can see it. I mean, she wants to be known. And, uh, you know, those that always want to be seen, that always want to be heard, you can mark it down, they're dangerous. I'll never forget years ago I worked for the... State Highway Department, and uh, back when we were building Highway 65 from Springfield down to uh, down to Branson, there's a little town called Ozark, just a few miles out of Springfield there, 
And uh, so every day while we were in that immediate area, while we would go to a little local cafe that everybody enjoyed, and uh, we'd all meet there and have lunch. And every day there was a, there was a certain young woman that uh, sat out on the out on the porch as the vehicles would come by, and boy, she knew the schedule and what have you. Uh, more than half naked. And she sat there every single day just for the sole purpose. And naturally, you think about a bunch of construction guys, what they're going to do. They're honking the horn and waving and a hooting and a hollering. And boy, that was exactly what she wanted. And she was getting attention, you see. Well, that's the way this woman is. She wants attention, and she's built her house in the high place of the city and in the conspicuous place so everybody knows exactly where she's at. Now, notice her call here in verse number 15. It says, to call passengers who go right on their way. So notice she's vocal as well as visible. You know, it's one, it's one thing to make yourself visible, but it's another thing to be vocal, and she's both. And, you know, and I think the lesson here for us is that regardless of how intent we are on doing what's right, Every time you determine you're going to do something good and something that's right, you mark it down, folly is going to be shouting in your ear. There, there's, going, there's going to be going to be something trying to deter you from doing what you know that you ought to. I, I always think about what Paul said in Romans chapter number 7, and I, I think it's in verse number 21. He says, you know, when he would do good, evil is present with him. Well, it's always that way. Uh, you set out on a course that you're going to do a good deed or you determine you're going to give up a bad habit or you're determined you're going to, uh, you know, help somebody. Whatever it is, there's always going to be some way that folly is resisting you and trying to discourage you from doing what you know that you should. Now, that voice might come to you in a number of ways. It might be shouting at you from the TV, you know, it might, might be on a program or a commercial or whatever it is. Satan has a lot of ways to make his voice known. It might be the TV. It might be the radio. It might be a magazine. It might be the computer screen, the classroom, the cell phone, or whatever it is. But there are always these voices clamoring for our attention and trying to dissuade us from doing what is right. And we can't escape temptation as long as we're in this world we're going to have to deal with temptation we never grow spiritually to the point you know that that we can say well you know I, i've really got a handle on this now it's it's not a problem and it's like i've said so many times and i'm always fearful someone's going to misunderstand and, and you know what i i can honestly say that i have absolutely no inclination to take a drink to this day, nothing on earth would taste better to me than, than beer. I just acquired a taste for it, and uh, God delivered me from it. But uh, as of yet, He never took away, you know, the the, the taste for it. I, I mean, it would still taste good. Uh, it's not that I'm tempted to do that, but we're all tempted in some way, in some way or another. And the, the, the interesting thing about it is the Lord gives us some 
warning about this. Turn over to 1 John for just a moment. And I know many of you are familiar with this, but if you're not, you ought to be. The Bible, you know, talks about Jesus being tempted in all points such as we are. And you go look at his temptation, by the way. And then you go all of the way back to the book of Genesis where, you know, Eve was tempted. And you'll see that she was tempted in exactly the same three ways that Christ was tempted. And it's all summed up for us right here in 1 John chapter number 2. For all that is in the world. Now, there are three things. There are three avenues, and every temptation will come to you in one of these avenues, every one of them. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And, I, I'm, I, you know, that's a whole different sermon, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to draw the parallel between the temptation of Christ and that of Eve, but it's very easy to do. And if you'll just sit down later and you look at those three avenues, you'll see that's the same way that Jesus was tempted, the same way that Eve was tempted, and it's the same way that you and I are going to be tempted, and you'll never get away from it. It might be that you no longer have a taste for alcohol, it may be that you gave up your gambling habit. It may be that, you know, whatever your particular sin might have been, you, the Lord helped you to conquer that. You know, that, that, that's, that's not a problem. But I'm telling you, sin of some sort uh, is, is still going to tempt you, and it will always come to you in one of those three areas. And being aware of that ahead of time is our is our best preparation for it whenever we see it coming to us in one of those ways. So she's calling out to the passengers who go right on their way. Now, verse 16, whoso is simple, this is still in reference to her call, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither and ask for him that wanteth or lacks understanding, she saith to him. Now, now that's going to bring us to the offer itself in verse number 17. But notice here, she saith to him, in other words, she's making this personal. If she can get the attention of that person, and that, that's why it's important that we understand how temptation comes to us because we can realize, you know, the source of it and consequently we can deal with it. So she gets the attention of this young, inexperienced man. Now here's the offer, verse 17, and it's basically what we've talked about in uh, verses before. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now notice that when I look at this, I see three things that she's offering him. The first one is excitement. You see, she knows within every person there are carnal desires demanding to be released. And, and she says, stolen waters are sweet. And, and, and in other words, you can find satisfaction in this. And so she convinces her victim that satisfaction comes from what? Self-expression. Self-expression. Now, it's a lie, right? It doesn't. I mean, we've tried that here in America, right? Self-gratification, self-expression, self-love, all of those things, you know. We've tried all of them, and none of them 
work. If self-expression could bring happiness to people, Americans would be the happiest people on earth. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm prone to think we're probably the most miserable people on earth. I said the other day watching this, you know, show up about Alaska, you know, those people, and everything's about surviving there. I mean, you've got to go out and you've got to plant some crops or you've got to kill some animals or you've got to cut some wood. And, 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 and everything they do is just about surviving. That's, but they're happy doing that, you know. And, and here in America, we don't have to do any of those things. We can run down to Kroger and, you know, buy a pound of hamburger meat or steak or whatever and get our flour or sugar and all of those things. Uh, I mean, we, we've got it made here in America, and uh, we don't have to, you know, fight the snow and the weather and all of those bad things like they do up there. Uh, and, and yet most people in America are miserable looking for something that will fulfill them and excitement. I, I, I get so tired of people talking about being bored. Bored. Let me tell you, as long as as long as I've got this book that I hold in my hand, and, and as long as long as I've got that, I, I can't ever be bored. I'm 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 honest. I'm never bored. And you think, well, wouldn't it be exciting to go somewhere, exciting to do something? Uh, uh, maybe. Maybe not. I, I don't get excited. I mean, whenever somebody, you know, chooses to go fishing instead of Niagara Falls, and, you you know, finally I get to Paris, and they said, you want to go to the Louvre? And I said, no way. You want to go see Notre Dame? No way. I I, I just I don't get excited about that, but let me tell you I get alone over there in my little office and and I open up this book and I get excited about that. This is something to get excited about. But the world is hungering for excitement, and she knows that, and she's going to play off of that. Stolen waters are sweet, and knows bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So there's excitement and there's pleasure. Now, you know that a lot of things that are exciting, uh, but they're fearful and dangerous, and, you know, they're not necessarily pleasurable. Exciting, but not pleasurable. But she is offering pleasure. Well, what did Paul say in Second Timothy chapter number 3 about being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Boy, that's a perfect description of where we are in America today. We love pleasure. You stop and think about it, that professional sports today, whether it's football, baseball, or whatever it is, and to think about those people being paid, what they're paid for playing a game. I mean, it shows, you know, a lot of people blame the athlete for that. Well, don't blame them. The real problem with this is that the money that they're making is showing what Americans value the most because we're paying for that. And, uh, you know, consequently, that's where we're putting the emphasis on what we, on what we enjoy the most, what we consider to be most important. I showed a picture the other day. It was actually a foul picture of back whenever... Uh, uh, whenever we had the Super Bowl in Houston, however many years ago that might have been. And they were talking about all of the corporate jets that would be coming in. 
and the parking problems that they would encounter as a result of that. And you know what comes to my mind? You know, the, 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 the poor family out here, you know, who maybe, maybe you know, the little boy plays in Little League football and Dad scraped together enough money to, uh, to maybe take him to one or two games during the course of the year. It comes down to Super Bowl time. They can't, they can't even go where some fat cat sitting in an office up in New York with millions of dollars jumps on his jet, flies all the way down here to watch a football game. And, uh, and again, it just goes back to this matter of pleasure. And that's the very thing that trips up so many people. There's excitement and there's pleasure. But there's one other thing. Notice also she offers him concealment. Notice she says... That bread eaten in secret is pleasant. We talked about that in chapter number seven, and we won't go over it. But uh, but but here again, the, you know, you know, come on, go with me, and nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to going to find out. And boy, you might be surprised what some people would do if they knew that nobody would find out. There are a lot of people, you know, that they walk the straight and narrow way when they know that people are watching. But, boy, in the dark, it's a whole different ball game. You know, the real test of a person's character is what we do in the dark. It's what we do when nobody is looking. And uh, that's why men love darkness rather than light, the Bible says, because their deeds are evil. And so she says here... Uh, notice the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Uh, it's kind of like thinking, you know, the excitement of getting by with something. Over the years, a lot of research has been done related to why people have affairs. And, uh, and over and over and over again, it is a proven fact that a lot of it has to do with the excitement of it, the thrill of the chase and what have you. In other words, a young couple gets married, and there's the honeymoon, and there's the excitement, and what have you. And then you know, after a while, the excitement wears off. And, and, of course, we got all of these books being written, and even preachers dragging their bed up on top of the church building and preaching a series on sex and what have you, and keeping it excitable like, you know, every day can be like your honeymoon that's the nuttiest stuff you ever heard in your life. Let me tell you, the honeymoon is a one-in-a-lifetime experience, and you're never going to duplicate it. You're never going to... Uh, it's, you're, that, that's a one-time thing. It's not going to be like a honeymoon every day of your life. I don't care how hard you try. There's just no way that you can, uh, that you can repeat that, you see. But a lot of people get bored in their marriage, and consequently, what do they do? Well, they think back to the excitement, the thrill when they started dating and got engaged and got married. And and so ultimately it leads to having an affair. And uh, and for them a big part of it is in keeping secrets. See if I can get by with this. I'm not proud of it. I've often talked about it before I was saved. I mean, especially as a teenager at least, up until I was afraid I'd go to prison, actually up until the time that a very kind, nice person caught me and uh, and uh, and I 
kind of changed my ways, but I, I was a thief. I'd steal anything I'd get my hands on. Uh, I mean, it didn't make any difference. But it wasn't even because I needed something. It was the thrill of it. I mean, I can remember going downtown Springfield, Missouri, there on the square where Wild Bill Hickok shot and killed that guy and going in her department store and, and you know, being a bunch of teenage boys, you dare each other. I'll, I'll dare you to do this or that, you know. And, uh, and so somebody, I'll, I'll bet you can't steal that. And uh, boy, it's all, that's all I need, somebody to dare me to do it. And I'd do it. And uh, it was just, you know, the excitement or the thrill of thinking I could get by with something and, uh, and nobody would know. She's appealing to that. And that's why she says bread eaten in, in, in secret is sweet. I mean, you're going to really enjoy this because nobody's going to know anything about it. Well, all right, we'll wrap it up. Verse 18, now our attention is turned to her victims. Tim mentioned a while ago on the way over here this is great that uh, that he was he was playing rg lee's sermon payday someday for his kids to hear how many of you ever heard payday someday by rg lee anybody oh my wow i mean it it is it it, it it's a it's a classic uh it's uh, just an amazing sermon by a fellow that was an amazing man he pastored bellevue baptist in memphis uh, back before Adrian Rogers did, and uh, I was telling Tim, I drove all the way out to Tulsa the first time just to hear R.G. Lee preach, because I thought he was about to die, and the, the old fellow lived to be 95 or something like that, but uh, he had a sermon, Payday Someday, preached it all over the nation. Well, notice what happens here. Here's the victim now, but he knoweth not he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Now, there are two things here, two things. Number one, there's deceit. Number two, there's destruction. It says, he knoweth not. Boy, Satan is a master at deception. I mean, it's been that way ever since the fall. And over and over and over again, the Bible warns us about being deceived. And, and that seemed to be one of Paul's favorite phrases, be not deceived and let no man deceive you. And uh, Satan will do that. And we've got to be on our guard all of the time. So there's deception, but notice the destruction it says, He knoweth not that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. You know, those that pushed aside the, the pleas of wisdom, and then they hearkened to the voice of folly. Notice here, uh, in, in the beginning she said, This is going to be pleasant. And, you know, we think about how sin starts out and you put the cup to your lips and it's, you know, oh, so sweet. But by the time you get to the bottom, there are the bitter dregs. I mentioned earlier about uh, liking the taste of beer. And, you know, in the beginning, boy, that, that was great. But, boy, what it did to me and what it did to my family and what it did to my friends was an ugly picture. You know, and that's the way sin is. It never ends well. Uh, at first, you know, it starts out like, oh, at long last I've discovered something that's going to make me happy, but it never does. And notice, these people choose a funeral instead of a feast. 
they could have had a feast. Wisdom said, look, look here's a banquet and, and, and invite you to come. And you've got to admit that just doesn't make sense because nothing in all the world is more destructive than sin. And the sad thing is too many times we treat sin like a friend instead of an enemy and end up paying the ultimate price. Think about it. You know, we get regular checkups from our doctor. We get vaccinations. Some people exercise. You know, we, we want to be protected from all of the diseases possible. And then we turn right around and sin as though it has no ill effects on us whatsoever. And, and we, we need to consider the ultimate price that we're going to have to pay for sin. I'm talking about even as a child of God. Because as a child of God, even though we are saved, we're forgiven, and, and, we, and, and our sins are under the blood, our sin here on this earth is going to be dealt with by way of chastisement. Uh, so we're not going to sin successfully. And we've got to look at the big picture and what the bottom line is going to be. I, I read a story just this week about a fellow that um, back east and. It had a successful business. Something happened. It went under, and boy, uh, he just uh, he basically lost everything that he had, and uh, the market dried up. And so he decided, I'll move out west. I'll go to California. And uh, boy, it's booming out there. Anybody can make a living. I'll go out there, and with my skill set, you know, I'll be able to get something going in no time. And so he decided I might as well enjoy the trip going out there, and so uh, he, he decided to buy a motorhome, which he did. And uh, he bought the biggest and the very best. I don't know how much those are, but it was very expensive because, you know, he wanted the security of having a nice place. And the more he looked at it, he wanted this upgrade and that upgrade. And, boy, I mean, he had just... Uh, spending money head over heels and, and had everything in there and took out on the trip. And, and, and when he got there, he said, you know, no sooner did I get there and I stepped out. And he said, for the first time, honestly, for the first time it dawned on me, I've spent every penny I've got on this motorhome to get me out here and I don't have any money to start a business with. You know, and I thought, boy, that, that is a perfect picture of people who live trying to find satisfaction in this world. And whenever we come down to the end of life's road and we're ready to step out yonder into eternity, we have nothing of enduring worth. We leave it all behind. And how sad that is. Oh, if we would listen to the voice of wisdom, apply our heart to wisdom, and do those things that are, that are going to be of eternal value, we'd surely be a lot better off. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll probably go into chapter 10. I, I mentioned uh, in the bulletin, I think it was last week, that we're going to be bringing some messages on different subjects this year, and some on Wednesday night and some on, uh, some on Thursday night. We're talk about the history of the church and the history of the Bible and some things. So at some point in time, we're going to break away from our study here and we'll have eight or ten lessons on one of those subjects maybe, and then we'll get back to this And uh, rather than just staying here all year long. So don't be surprised if you show up some week uh, thinking we're going to be in Proverbs and, uh, and, and we end up somewhere else. But 
We're going to stay with it, you know, till we get through. We just take a break now and then. Thank you for being here and your attention.